Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. You're listening to a new The National Blast podcast with Keenan Skelly. Join Keenan and guests as they blast you to a place that is certainly not boring, yet still giving you highlights from areas in cyber where key policies and legislation are needed, exist, but aren't enforced, or no one is even talking about it. Knowledge is power. Now, more than ever. Hello, everyone. It's Keenan Skelly with the National Blast. I'm so excited. And yeah, I know I say that every time, but I'm really, really excited about the guest today because we have been talking about this for a millennia. And it's all my fault that it took this long, but still. So I want to introduce uh, Lauren and Tatiana. They're going to tell a little bit about themselves and kind of how they got roped into this this madness of today and a little bit about what they're working on in terms of privacy. So uh, Tatiana, you want to go? Sure. Um, Yeah, so I'm Tatiana Bolton. I'm the policy director for R Street's Cybersecurity and Emerging Threats Program. Uh, I came to R Street from the uh, Cyberspace Solarium Commission. And before that, CISA, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. Before that, uh, for those who don't know what CISA stands for, which uh, surprisingly still a lot, large number of people don't. Um, But you all should. So uh, that, you know, that's sort of uh, my background. And now I work with the uh, fantastic Lauren Zabrick on our joint effort to uh, basically fix data security, data privacy. I mean, the two of us can do it alone, it's fine. I'm pretty sure well, that we isn't can. Isn't that how it usually works? I mean, just a couple of badass women just going out there. It is Women's History Month, so I'm gonna throw a lot of that in here. Yeah, badass women yeah, yeah. Badass changing the world. Hashtag winning. Um, thank you for that introduction, Tatiana, and of course, Keenan. Uh, my name is Lauren Zabrick. I run the Cyber Project at the Harvard Kennedy School's Belfer Center. So it's like this think tank within uh, the school, within the university, um, but we do policy relevant research here. And I came this way just really a long kind of winding career. I started my career in the military, just like you, Keenan. Um, and what branch for the army fans out there? Okay. Yeah. You're, you're going to make me do this, aren't you? I, am. Totally. <laughs> I was in the air force, oh. lovingly known as the chair force. Uh, I was not a pilot though. No, actually, I'm not going to give you any real crap for that because all of my duty stations as an army, as a soldier, were at Air Force bases. And I honestly feel like those are the most magical military places in the world. <laughs> so uh-huh. I'm, I'm not even going to give you a hard time about that. <laughs> go ahead. You know, I, I didn't go to a ton of military bases, but um, but yeah, I was mostly stationed at Langley Air Force Base if you were ever there. So yeah, maybe we crossed paths at one point. Um, so yeah, so did a couple years in the military, got out, did a couple years of consulting, and then I went to the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency where I did counterterrorism work. And I got to deploy a bunch and do some really cool things and then had to leave government to come up to Boston to be with my husband. And that's when I made that pivot into cyber. I was lucky enough that the uh, startup that I joined, Recorded Future, 
was open to hiring someone who did not have a cyber background. Um, and so I, I was so fortunate, and especially because it gave me such a, a view of you know, how these companies and organizations across the country were really dealing with cyber threats. And this was early 2016. So um, it was an interesting time. And that really led me to want to focus on cyber policy so that when I got to the Kennedy School and, and then, you know, got to study under Eric Rosenbach, my now boss, and then um, he asked me to apply for this role. So I've been here for a couple of years. It's been incredible, life-changing. And through the course of that, I have been able to meet amazing people such as yourselves, Keenan and Tatiana. It's been just, a, you know, the best thing ever. And um, yeah, we are working on, as Tatiana said, data security, data privacy legislation, um, really trying to identify the current roadblocks to getting it passed. So really trying to say what those issues are and trying to come up with actionable solutions for that. You know, I, I'm so excited that there are people like both of you that are working on this because it's kind of become a running joke on the podcast that the whole rest of the world, especially Europe is so far ahead of us on privacy. And we still haven't been able to pass any kind of meaningful privacy legislation. And I think that there's a big piece of that that is because we're America, right? And um, there are a couple of factors that go into that. One of those factors is there are always big tech companies who are lobbying to say, well, we're trying to do this, we're trying to do this, we can't protect everyone's privacy, right? Um, and then at the same time, there's a lot of folks who have a very Americanized view of all of my stuff should be private. The government shouldn't know anything about me. Nobody should know anything about me. And often it's kind of hard to bridge that gap between the two. So tell me a little bit about the project that you guys are working on and how it kind of tackles just the American problem of privacy. Well, we're starting with um, three sort of very specific issues. You know, at the outset of this project, um, you know, both of us, I think we're exploring this need for data privacy in the United States. Um, a couple of my students had done some papers that really explored this topic and it really gave me the understanding of why data security and data privacy, really the privacy aspect was so important. It was preventing things like research and development on artificial intelligence. And it was causing just, I think, trillions of dollars in losses between businesses, between you know the United States and Europe, for instance. And so that really compelled me to, to say, you know, I think this is something that we need to think about. And so I saw that Tatiana was also doing some research in the space and I reached out to her and we started to talk and, and she, of course, has always said, you know what, why don't we work together on this? You know, between the two of our institutions, which as you can imagine, Harvard is probably a little bit more left-leaning and our street, you know, probably a little bit, you know, in the opposite direction. So if we can sort of come at this from a bipartisan standpoint and really try to get more stakeholders sort of under the tent um, to, to really talk about and think about these issues, um, then I think that we can have some real impact. Absolutely. Yeah. I love the bipartisan piece of that. I really do. And I think that privacy has to be that. 
Um, you know, I think in DC, in all the time that I've lived here, the last couple of years have been some of the most polarized on, on a variety of topics. But when it comes to privacy, I think it we went from maybe privacy is a good thing and we should look at it to some people thinking that privacy is irrelevant. And I, again, that goes back to the challenge that both of you and your organizations must be facing, really trying to overcome that gap to make this a, just an issue for the people, not a partisan issue. Yeah, and um, the other thing I'll add is that it really is one of the biggest stumbling blocks for us is that people don't believe that it can happen. And so there's become this like 20 year, you know, there's like this 20 year um, buildup of uh, stalled progress. And we, we just, we need to get over that. And uh, I think there's absolutely ways that we can move from talking just like PRA, no PRA, preemption, not preemption to the actual, P, you know, the actual, um, concepts in between that we can agree on, right? You know, we've talked to like take um, take preemption, for example. We've talked to a number of different stakeholders. We've met with over probably 50 or 60 different stakeholders uh, from industry groups, uh, companies themselves, consumer advocates, uh, academics, you know, other think tanks. And we've we've gotten to a place where a lot of people agree on a number of issues in on preemption. Uh, for example, you know, excluding certain federal legislation like uh, HIPAA and GLBA and student privacy, because people agree that, you know, any legislation uh, on privacy uh, can't include any of those bills because it would just fall under its own weight. And so we've, um, we've, we've kind of gotten consensus on that. There's also particular state areas of concern that have been traditional, um, you know, uh, areas that states uh, that states legislate on. And we, we don't want to touch that either, you know, give the states their uh, due in terms of being able to legislate for the particulars of their state. And, um, and that that's fine. And we've listed, I think, about 11 different areas where um, that are traditional areas of state control that we would exclude from the preemption. Um, but it, you know, that at least gets us closer to where we can have some consensus. Absolutely. Yeah. And and on that note, too, you know, Tatiana, especially where you there's the idea that there are people who are saying it's never going to happen. And, and, you know, Keenan, also to your point about, uh, you know, certain companies lobbying for or against, I think it's, it's really important to note that everyone that we're talking to wants this. And that includes those tech companies. They want a privacy bill because, you know, on the end of, or on the end of the spectrum, you know, for consumer advocacy, yeah, we want to protect people. And on the other end, we also want to protect business, right? And innovation and things like that. And then I guess if we're looking at, maybe it's not a spectrum, maybe it's like a, <laughs> you know, a, a round ball of issues, but then we also have national security issues too, right? And, and protecting people in that way, but also, you know, fueling research and innovation and development for critical national security technologies like artificial intelligence and things like that. So there's so many reasons why a lot of people, a lot of organizations, a lot of institutions really want this and why we need it. And so it's like, we're just trying to find those little areas that are preventing, I think the conversation from moving forward and then trying to present some actionable ways forward so that we can actually keep this moving. 
Yeah. I think, you know, uh, Tatiana, you mentioned a little bit earlier that there were three issues that you guys were really kind of focused on in this. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. So we looked at um, preemption. That's the first one. And I think like, like I just mentioned, we have found some, we found consensus on that. I think, I think generally that's the one of, I mean, every law that passes has to deal with this. So, you know, it's almost surprising that we haven't been able to find compromise. The second issue is uh, private right of action. So whether or not uh, individuals can sue, um, that is probably uh, the most contentious still, um, because there's a lot of different opinions as to whether or not you should have a private right of action at all. Um, we are a fairly litigious uh, society, so it's not surprising that um, you know we want to be able to to sue companies when we feel like they're not following the law. Um, and then the third uh, the third area is the role of the FTC and how enforcement uh, is handled. That ties into PRA as well, um, because we, you know, we talk about sort of the, um, we talk about the the different ways you can enforce a law, right? From uh, federal enforcement through the FTC, most likely a privacy bureau, if uh, such a bill were to come to fruition, it would most likely uh, be the FTC through a privacy bureau that it would, uh, the federal government would enforce. Then, state AGs and the role the states would play. And then third is that individual enforcement and private right of action. So um, that's the way we sort of started thinking about it. Uh, And Lauren took over the, um, Lauren's running the FTC portion of this. So I can, I'll put it over to her because she, she's got the pen. Actually, I, on that very specific topic, I believe there was, and I, well, I know there was a bill that was coming forward to fund the FTC about $10 million, 10 million, 10 billion. I think it was $10 million over the next couple of years um, to focus directly on privacy reporting and data, which is an interesting kind of mix when you see all of the bills that have come out directed at CISA maintaining kind of a reporting structure. And so how, what do you, is that part of what you guys have been considering is is that particular bill and how does that fit into the whole piece? I don't know if we've necessarily looked at that particular bill, but certainly the issue of how the FTC could be resourced better to do that job of enforcement, of protection, of, of privacy. And, you know, especially on that note with CISA, right, we understand that there are going to be other agencies that really need to coordinate with the FTC on that, especially on the data security side of the house. Um, But where CISA doesn't have an enforcement role, then they would actually provide, I think, more of that consultative, more, you know, advisory um, action so that the FTC could then take that and create the appropriate rules. So the FTC would have this special rulemaking authority. And and we go in, in this paper, we go into the different types of of rulemaking authorities that the FTC could actually use to create those rules. We are talking about enforcement and and how that actually happens. Um, Also talking about capacity right now versus what we would need to actually get to, I think, a robust enforcement um, stature. Um, And and also looking at the areas for rulemaking. So one of the biggest things that we 
have heard and, and have been working on is this concept of targeted rulemaking. So for instance, right now the FTC could use something and I think is trying to use something called the MAGMOS um, rulemaking authority. And essentially they can make rules on, on what, uh, what they deem needs um, guidance around. But this, this concept of targeted rulemaking authority essentially says that actually most of, of this law or you know that would that Congress would actually pass. Most of those provisions would actually be in the law, but there are some very specific areas that the FTC could then actually make rules on, um, and that's really meant to, um, you know, leave it to their expertise on you know those areas. But it's also to ensure that you know where the law is not obsolete and that it can actually keep up with um, changing technology. So things like what is sensitive covered data and looking at things like um, explicit consent or manipulation and, and biometric data, things like that. Um, and then, you know, but again, keeping it very targeted to those sorts of areas, but having Congress actually pass the law of what is allowed and, and what isn't. And then, um, you know, again, how they would enforce it. And even a question of, you know, would they put out different guidance, almost like affirmative um, uh, guidance to companies, what you could do, what you should do. So some of the, those are some of the things that we are working through in these papers. And on the, on the money part, on the funding side, um, we also sort of looked at Build Back Better and what it included in terms of the FTC, which was $1 billion for, with B, for uh, privacy and a privacy bureau. Um, the the that amount was cut down to 500 million and so we sort of uh ran with that number um and you know it was moving fairly uh, fairly well along in that process so we felt like it was a um a number that might pass through congress if it you know if there was consensus around 500 we're happy to use that so we sort of created a rule of 5 so what we said was 500 million for over five years for 500 people. Um, because, you know, there's the capacity issue is a serious one. There's not, there can't be uh, effective enforcement at the FTC without increased capacity. Right now we have not even remotely enough people around 60 or so that are working on privacy uh, within the FTC. And that's for the entirety of the United States. Arguably you can say Ireland's, um, you know, Ireland's team uh, is bigger and Ireland is what the size of Connecticut. I'm kidding. Ireland's bigger <laughs> than Connecticut. Hey, but, but you get my point. So, bigger. you know, um, because of the rules of GDPR and like all of their uh, enforcement actions, they've certainly staffed up. So, you know, perhaps it's comparing apples and oranges, but I think it just, it just goes to show that there's a lack of capacity here in the FTC in the US. And we want to try to address that. Yeah. And I think too, uh, sorry, you know, no, I, I think too that there is some concern, of course, um, on you know the, the right side of the aisle, right, with big government and, and funding the FTC so much that it's this big unwieldy organization and it's going to be, you know, so cumbersome to businesses. And that's not we what we want. We want to resource them appropriately so that they can 
look at, you know, across the, the spectrum, what's going on in the privacy space, what's going on at different businesses, the ability to um, identify where businesses are, you know, messing up or creating harms and things like that, and then remediate that. And, you know, when we're talking about enforcement and potentially collecting fines, again, this isn't to you know, just plus up their own coffers, right? This is meant to try to get compliance uh, for the law. But then also at the same time, I mentioned these affirmative things. We want to make sure that the, the law and the rules are very clear so that companies and organizations know how to comply, can, can you know, easily do it. Um, and hopefully they, they have sort of less fear around that. So from the perspective of, let's say, devil's advocate, <laughs> um, how does this kind of fit in with reporting legislation? How does this fit in with the SEC? How does this kind of fit into the fact that if you have a data and privacy violation with the FTC, you also very likely have had some kind of breach of that information, right? So how are those things working together in the way that you guys are proposing this? And, and then is the SEC a part of that conversation in what they can do and what they can charge against companies? So, you know, I think that obviously interagency um, coordination will be necessary if, uh, if this passes. Uh, we've seen, I would argue, the most significant shift in cybersecurity legislation over the course of the last year alone uh, that we've ever seen. And, you know, this would sort of add to that. And I think what that means is the agencies that are responsible for tackling cybersecurity within the government, CISA, FBI, NSA, um, the White House, obviously the NCD, um, among others, obviously the, the other agencies that are responsible for uh, the different sectors like treasury and energy need to get involved. Um, but the government has that process, right? Like they have an interagency process. They have, uh, you know, they have ways to meet, to discuss, to figure out who's responsible for what, obviously a ton of ink will be spilled trying to figure out, you know, what that process will look like within the federal government. Um, certainly there's a role for the sec to play in terms of, um, in terms of breaches. I think, you know, they're currently one of the strongest regulators on the, um, in cybersecurity, uh, as it stands, but I think that, you know, we can't let um, the fear of, uh, you know, sort of complicated bureaucratic wrangling stop us from achieving what we know to be right and good, which is stronger data security and stronger privacy policies. Um, we need those uh, for consumers, for businesses, for the government. I think, uh, in fact, data security, data privacy legislation will work really well in almost in tandem with cyber incident reporting legislation in that it'll be able to, um, it'll be able to create that resilience and the requirements for those better data security practices that will, in, that will um, protect people's privacy, but at the same time, reduce breaches. And so what you'll, you know, it's the, it's some of the basic um, blocking and tackling that we've just been missing because we've been trying to do this voluntarily and it's just not been successful, right? Um, I think that, you know, Ann Neuberger today gave a presser saying that like she's frustrated about the fact that um, 
companies are still being hacked through known vulnerabilities. It's very rare that it's a zero day that gets you. It's really just known vulnerabilities that are out there you haven't patched yet. So I think in requiring data security practices through a data security and data privacy bill will help uh, regulators uh, and help companies make sure that they're working together to address these issues before they happen. Yeah. And I'll, sorry, I was going to say, yeah. And I actually would add on to that in a very uh, specific way. Um, When it comes to the breach notification and privacy, I was at an event a couple months ago and talking about this continued need to share information and do it in a very sustained, holistic, institutionalized way. And someone came up to me after and said, you know, I would love to share more information for the government, but I have all these privacy considerations and liability concerns. And so I think that having a law, which again, provides very specific guidance on how to actually comply and and protect people's data, I think that's going to help us even more to get more data and hopefully, you know, go a long way towards raising our collective resilience and security. I, I totally agree with that. But I also, as a small business owner, I see the the hard part of that, which is, especially if we're talking about critical infrastructure, we're talking about owners and operators. They don't always have the bottom line to be able to support that. And that's where you know a lot of these things start to fall short is they say, great, that there's regulation, but I'm never going to be able to do that. I don't, I have a sysadmin who's running my entire you know, security program, and I don't know how to get beyond that. So what are some ways that you guys think um, that can be addressed through this privacy legislation? Yeah, I mean, we thought about that. Like, we don't want this to be burdensome for the majority of businesses that are small and medium-sized businesses. Because again, the goal is not to create new regulation. The goal is to create stronger, more resilient networks. That's good for everyone. And so for small and medium-sized businesses, right? Those that like your, like your business or your neighborhood dry cleaner or my mom's, you know, like law firm, which has like, you know, two people, like, you know, it's just her basically like, doesn't, um, it, we wouldn't put the same sort of stringent standards on them because they're not, you guys aren't collecting the data. You're not collecting the amounts of data we're talking about. We're trying to, you know, address the issues that are happening at the high, like at at a high level where, you know, uh, hundreds of thousands of data entries are happening on a, you know, hourly basis, if not minute by minute, like the amount of, you know, um, the amount of data that, you know, we've been hoovering up on the internet and through, you know, various email and, you know, um, uh, sweepstakes campaigns and like grocery store, uh, VIP programs, whatever it collect, it's collecting so much information that people just are, feel like they almost have to basically give up their privacy in order to participate in today's society. And that's just not true. And there's ways that companies can go about um, minimizing their uh, data collection. And I think that's what we're trying to incentivize, right? Minimizing data collection to the data that you actually need, instead of just putting out a broad sweep of, uh, you know, and, and just collecting everything you can because it's easy to do that. Right. Because then it creates all of this, all this, all this, um, all these problems on the back end where companies then get breached. And then you didn't just accidentally, you know, release 
uh, 10,000 uh, people's information, just their name and phone number. No, you actually went ahead and collected like their social security number and address and email and like where, you know, and whatever religious else. preference and shopping preferences. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so that's the stuff that we're targeting for the small and medium sized businesses. We've made an exclusion. Um, the, they wouldn't be within the scope of this, uh, the bill as, as we are, um, as we're drafting it, it would, it would exclude small businesses that don't uh, hold lots of data or don't collect lots of data. That, in, that includes all of the ones I just mentioned, but it does include small businesses that do collect huge amounts of data. We didn't want to give like a sort of a uh, a flat get out of jail yeah. free. Yeah. I'd like a jet, get a jail free card for any business that remains under like 500 employees, because with even 20 employees right now on the internet, you collect like millions of people's data. So, you know, the, the question is about, uh, how small the business is, and then also how much data they collect. And so if you are, fall under certain thresholds, right, and these are, by the way, thresholds that not we created, but have been proposed pre previously in other legislation and, and have, uh, and have you know, some sort of standing in uh, Congress, um, so that they, so that we put some kind of restriction around the scope. And it sounds like that was kind of getting to the question that I really wanted to ask was, is this really structured to be tiered for different types of businesses and different types of entities? Because that's something that is often really difficult with legislation of this nature or reporting or anything that falls into this is you have to consider the capabilities of the actual company. So that's great to hear that that those things are being taken into consideration and how their reporting would be different for privacy and data. Yeah, and you know, it's not just now and what we have been doing, but even this, you know, idea of looking ahead and looking at things like smart cities, right? And and how they're collecting or will be collecting data, how all of our internet connected things are collecting data. And then on top of that, it's how you're actually processing that data and then making decisions based on that process as well. Um, how my Tesla it, knows where I am at every second of every day. Oh my gosh. And how my ah. phone like reminded me that I'm going to the airport and was like, would you want, want to coordinate your Google map schedule to make sure that you get there on time? I'm like, oh my gosh. Right. Or, or I was some, a little freaked out coming back from the airport last time when they were like, oh, you just landed. Would you like to get some Uber Eats for when you get home? And I'm like, oh my God. We've gone yeah. a step too far here. <laughs> I yes. feel like I'm being stalked. How right. do you know what, what is going yeah. on right now? Or, or even, you know, I was at the doctor's recently and they were like, here's a link to register and enter your information ahead of time to save time. And they asked for a lot of things. And I was like, I'm not putting this on the internet because I don't know what you're going to do with it. And why do you need it? But, you know, to this conversation we were just having about those small businesses that maybe don't collect a lot of data or do and have, you know, the number of employees or revenue and things like that. You know, this is something I, I've thought a lot about too. And I know that states are really getting into this whole privacy game. And, and I'm wondering you know, if there's a way for states to maybe provide resources or very, you know, specific um, information, you know, just per state or, or something like that. But again, having, you know, this federal law to really guide what, what should and shouldn't be done. But, but again, more on the, um, I don't know, again, that positive enforcement sort of aspect of it. Um, because, 
yeah, the, these small, like I said, these doctor's offices, I need to know that they're doing the right thing with our information because there are targets for sure. Um, and, and, and as we know, bad actors can do bad things with this data. I have, I'm going to tell a quick story because it's super relevant right now and talking about a medical office and um, I, I was trying to make an appointment and um, their voicemail told me that if I wanted to make the appointment and I wanted to talk about my medications, which is what I called in for was a medication refill that I needed to leave the uh, medication, what it was treating my credit card number, my email address, my phone number. And it went on like to list for the things like my favorite color and what kind of underwear I like. And I was like, are you what? <laughs> and I, I lost it a little bit as a security person on the voicemail. And then immediately they called me back and they're like, well, we can just take that information over the phone. I'm like, how is that better? And why do you need to know all that information? Why is that? And then they were like, well, we have a website where you can enter it. It was not a secured or encrypted website. It was like, this is literally oh, the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen in my life. Ah, and so in, in this day and age, you know, rookie on. mistake, hate to see it happen. It is, but you know, there are a lot, especially in the smaller businesses, the smaller legal practices, the smaller medical practices, um, that it's just not something that they have time to consider or just no, and there's just like, there's just like one person usually who's like running as a, like the office as an office manager who may or may not have any idea what cybersecurity is. And like, you know, I just, I go in there and I'm just thinking like that person is holding our data and like fairly sensitive data. Like it, it went obviously from uh, just paper records now in like folders in their office, which like so unlikely to get stolen, right? Like nobody's going to break into a doctor's office, you know, uh, to, to get like the files of some random patient, which for the record is in such a system that like literally no Nobody knows how to get in there anyway, but to, to a place where they're all online. And like, I want, don't get me wrong. I want digital records in medical offices because it's incredibly frustrating, like trying to go between different offices. And like, you know, I, uh, I, I do this for my family. Like I go and I try to coordinate care and it's extremely difficult. So like, there's a huge benefit to doing this, but like, what, where are we on the back end of like, you know, our, the data security aspect of it. And that's the whole point. Like there's so many different reasons why we need this. Um, and I think like there's practical, pragmatic solutions that people just need to hash those out and just let's get this done. Amen. Amen. I know. I know. Well, now we should just go home because we fixed it. Right. <laughs> That was really easy. That was like the yeah. We just did it. It was fine. Well, Why? you know, when, when, when Lauren, um, when our street Harvard and uh, Corey Simpson, our other partner, puts this out, we are, you know, we just that's the answer. So you guys should just support it and you know publicly, very publicly, call your senators and tell them that this is the right the right thing to do. So what, there you go. Actually, I want to back up for just a second. Um, you know. Lauren, earlier you mentioned that a lot of the companies who do lobbying, the tech companies, they want this too. Can you talk a little bit about why they want this? And is it is it because they want at least a baseline to be able to follow and they have no idea what to do? Or it is there other pushback? Like how did, how is that working? Yeah, it's definitely more on the economic side of things, but this 
idea of having a patchwork of laws is very onerous for a business. They don't want that. It's also very confusing, I think, for consumers as well. But if they have to put more resources towards figuring out the different laws in all these different states and, and of course, different countries, that I think just it slows things down. It hampers innovation. It you know, it, it delays, I think, services basically that people are paying for. Um, so we don't want that. We want that. We want there to be, yes, this baseline law as they do. That's very clear. That provides that guidance of what they can and cannot do provides these standards, if you will, um, not standards in the, in the, you know, technical sense, but standards for, behavior and um, use of data and protection. Um, so there's there's really no ambiguity there. They want clarity, right? They and want clarity in, in operating. Like yeah. a baseline where we can start here and that gives us a starting point. And that's exactly important when the bottom line comes into play. Yeah, exactly. So I'm really excited about this. When when is this coming out? When when can people like jump on this and start calling their senators and um, you know really harassing them about the importance of data privacy? Because I'm totally here for that. Well, yesterday, but oh. I mean, but uh, we are so we are wrapping up all of our sort of. Um, uh, research and while we're continuing sort of stakeholder engagement, because I think that's critical to getting this over the finish line. There's obviously a number of really uh, fantastic programs that have uh, worked on this for for years that we're working with, and um, I think so. We're we'll be wrapping up our we'll be wrapping up our work in uh, April when we have an event, uh, April twenty fifth. To talk about um, to talk about some of our recommendations, we're going to be putting out some sort of summary recommendations at that event, and then we're going to be releasing, I think, our uh, documents in full. We have we have actually five of them at this point. One that talks about spo sco uh, scope, one that talks about uh, PRA preemption, uh, FTC, and then one we actually that we haven't actually touched on, but uh, is equally important, which is civil rights. Yeah. So that'll be coming out. Uh, probably early in May. So can you talk about this event where everything's coming out and where people can go to get excited and, and go to that event? And yeah. So the, um, um, the event should be live on our streets website and on Harvard's website, probably. Um, <laughs> when we, uh, uh, so our street cyber, uh, will host the event. Uh, it's at the national press club at 11.30 on April 25th. It's actually in person, people. Yeah, In person. I know. There's people. With lunch, guys. <gasps> With lunch. Wow. So there's no reason not to go, really. That's what I say. Totally gonna go. You should go. It's gonna oh be God, amazing. Right now. <laughs> uh, we have Kent Walker from Google, who's gonna be uh, keynoting. Uh, he's going to talk about sort of privacy from like one of these, you know, big companies that collects a lot of data and their perspective, you know, how they think about it, how they think about um, moving away from the notice and consent model um, and how he, how he thinks about duty of loyalty um, uh, from a company's perspective. And then we're going to have a great panel uh, following that with um, uh, Nishant Baharia from Uber and uh, Lartiz Tiffith from IAB, formerly Amazon, uh, and another 
number of other uh, soon to be announced speakers. I can't confirm them yet. I can't uh, <laughs> talk about it yet, but they're they're going to be really great. So um, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be fantastic. That's really exciting. I'm excited for this. I, I know everybody that listens to the show, you know, we talk about privacy and data so often, even however random the scope of our topics are, whether it's, you know, the federal revenge porn legislation or whether we're talking about the G7 and what people are willing to do from country to country to protect and defend, uh, you know, each other's nations. Privacy and data is really the, the other side of the cybersecurity coin. And it really is important and we have to start making progress forward. Otherwise we're gonna get really just overwhelmed with this. So final thoughts before we wrap up, You know, what do you wanna see with this? Do you wanna see, obviously you wanna see it just get passed no matter what. And then everybody just pays attention and doesn't argue and you know try to be a little pain in the butt. But what else, final thoughts? Well, correct. I would just say that I would like for um our country to stop acting like little children and just, you know, agree to something. Uh, I, I just, I want to see a cultural shift, you know, I want to see a shift from us thinking about privacy and data security as, um, as separate issues, right. Uh, privacy thought of as a technical, like a tech issue and not a cybersecurity issue. They go together. Um, and then moving away from this concept that like we, um, that we don't have, um, sorry, moving away from this concept that like privacy is, is something that you aren't really do. It's just something that is a bonus, right? To thinking about privacy as inherent to the way in which we live our lives and have lived our lives. And it's something that you should just expect in a regular course of business. And that it's not an additional thing that you're asking for. Absolutely. I, I think that's right. You know, changing the culture on this and, and making everything sort of secure and private by design. Right. Um, and, and not only that, but again, we, we really hadn't touched on this in the discussion, but also fair, you know, and in the term, in terms of the way we collect the data and also process and use that data and then make decisions on top of that, making sure that that's fair too. You know, Tatiana said something earlier about, you know, this promise of technology, right? We want to use technology. Technology makes lives easier, but I think for so long, we've just neglected the security and privacy aspect of it in the name of, you know, great innovation and, and commerce and things like that, we need to bring this back in line with, you know, the needs of, of the people in our nation and our national security. And so cool, changing that conversation, sorry, go ahead. And cultural values, just that this oh is something that should be instilled in us as a culture is to protect our information. And that gets difficult when we start talking about younger people right now who spend most of their time you know, in a digital world where they're always on, they're always on Twitch with their friends or they're always streaming with their friends. And it gets really difficult if we have nothing in place to kind of guide that generation moving forward. I mean, yeah. we're already bad at it. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. Yes, we are. But maybe, you know, I'm going to be, I'm going to play the eternal optimist here as I do. Uh, and just say that, you know, maybe they'll be better than us at it, you know, so. because they grow up in it. Maybe they'll, they just inherently understand how to protect themselves better. 
you know, Maybe. just like we understand how to use iPhones better than our parents. Right. But I, I, I want to uh, be the ones to figure it out for them. Though, it's true. You know? It's true. I don't want to wait that long. Yeah. I, I, wanna, I want this to happen now. Yeah. Let's, let's do what we can to protect ourselves and the future generations. Yeah. You know, there's so much work to be done on that front across all kinds of domains. I so just, if we can get this done. That'd be I amazing. just hope that in like 30 years, it'll be just as weird not to have like a privacy standard or a company that's not taking your privacy and data security into account as weird as it would be to like buy a car without a seatbelt. Right. Like, yeah, I want to, like, I want it to be that like intrinsic, like it's just like it would be completely odd to buy, you know, like a car with no analog brakes. Right. Those didn't used to be standard. Uh, Seatbelts didn't used to be standard, but we may, but we significantly reduced like fatalities and car crashes by making those required. And I think that we can do the same thing for our digital economy. Such a good analogy. Yeah, I, I love here that. for you. <laughs> I love it when people talk about, you know, well, driver's licenses didn't used to be a thing until everybody was killing each other and running over other people's horses. <laughs> and, and then yeah. that became a thing. And, you know, sometimes regulation, sometimes regulation when applied correctly is life altering. It's life changing for everyone. And I, I think this is where yeah. privacy and data really comes in. Yeah. I mean, yeah. cyber is just the wild, wild west right now, you know? It's not crazy to think that we need to put some rules of the road up. Absolutely. And it's been too long. Like driving without street signs. Yeah. Well, you know, and and on that point, just real quick, like this discussion about, you know, regulations like seatbelts and anti-lock brakes and things like that. I bet back then people were like, oh, this is going to be so burdensome for, you know, our technology development. But look what it did. It, it save lives on one hand, which is what we should be doing anyway, protecting life. But also that innovation has just, you know, just skyrocketed, right? Like innovation has not been hampered by making sure that things are safe. So I think that the same thing will happen here. I love that comment. And I had a guest actually a, a few months ago who, who was coming from a more European kind of point of view. And she said that in Europe, privacy and cybersecurity directly equate to safety, just safety, which is, I think, a foreign concept here in America, not something we get. And the analogy that she used, I thought, was really apropos. In Europe and countries in Europe, they've experienced world wars where data was used against them in the worst possible ways, where registries identifying your religion or where you came from those things led to wars, to massive yeah. wars, decimated populations. And that's something that we haven't experienced. So we're coming at this with a slightly new perspective of, okay, uh, yeah, it's important, but, but Europeans see it from a very different standpoint. It's about safety. It's about yes. personal safety. And I think, and I th- yeah, I think Jen Easterly really does a good job at equating those things too, you know, with her Shields Up initiative, what's oh, yeah. a Shields Up initiative, and talking about how these threats are threats not just to computers, but to public safety and those essential services. So I think you're spot on with that. You guys, we're going to have to do this again. We're going to have to have a follow-on after the, the launch and the release and after everybody that listens to the show calls their senator and makes it happen. Yes, please. Uh, it's so great to talk to you both, and I really, I really do want both of you to come back on. Um, 
We'd love to. Yeah, this, that would be amazing. This has been such a fun conversation. Yay! We hope you enjoyed this episode of the National Blast Podcast with Keenan Skelly. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share ITSPMagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.